I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Further hikes in energy bills as Ireland's biggest energy provider announces an increase of almost 25% in prices Ireland's efforts to accommodate what could be as many as 200,000 refugees looks set to have significant financial implications down the line. Well, the budget's in October, so there's some time to go yet, and obviously it depends on the duration of the war, to be be frank with you. Um, But obviously the expenditure is going to be there. Uh, There's going to be increased expenditure in education and in health, so we've got to factor that into the budget. Claire Brock sits down with the newly appointed Labour leader, Ivana Bacic, to discuss the party's future and what sets them apart from all the others. We showed there was a space and an appetite for an alternative voice that was not the right wing of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael on the one hand, or the rhetoric of Sinn Féin on the other. And later, a 20 cent levy on your disposable coffee cup, tokenistic or an important step in the fight against climate change. Do get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight VMTV. First tonight, Electric Ireland has announced a hike in energy bills with the average electricity bill set to rise significantly this year. In studio for more on this, I'm joined by Aon O'Reardon, TD with the Labour Party, Timmy Dooley, Fianna Fáil Senator, Ruth Coppinger, Socialist Activist, and Gerard Howlin, Public Affairs Consultant. But first, I'd like to go to Skype where Dara Cassidy from Bonkers.ie is on the line. Dara, another significant hike. This time 1.1 million Irish consumers are going to be affected. What's it going to cost them? Yeah, it's a pretty big hike and unfortunately it wasn't um, unexpected. Uh, All the suppliers have been increasing prices over the past few weeks and Electric Ireland is the latest, although it is the biggest. Um, Gas is going up by 25%, electricity is going up by 22%, although the standing charge is also going up as well, uh, quite significantly for electricity in fact. The um, standing charge for electricity is going up by a whopping 36%. So when you just quickly look at what that means to the average annual bill, um, the average customer's annual electricity bill is going to be around €300 Euro more expensive going forward. And then the gas bill is going to be around €220 uh, Euro a year more expensive. So they're big price hikes and they're going to be felt up and down the country. That standing charge increase, what justification have Electric Ireland given for that? Not much, to be honest. And it is tough, I think, to justify. You can understand why the price of gas and electricity is going up um, on wholesale markets. Gas is at absolutely record levels. But this habit that all the energy suppliers have now gotten into of increasing the standing charge every time they announce a price hike, I think is quite frustrating because you can't avoid the standing charge, even if you turn off the lights, if you turn down the heat. 
the standing charge is there. It doesn't go. And, um, you know, it's tough to avoid. And it's, it's difficult, I think, to justify. And now that standing charge with most suppliers is close to €300 euro a year for um, electricity and anywhere from 150 to €200 euro a year for gas. Is there any consolation for people that we are coming into the summer months? You know, the demand maybe for heat and light is less... There is. And in some ways, I think Electric Ireland, as the biggest energy supplier in the country, does have to be somewhat commended for holding off as long as it did. Um, the price increase doesn't come into effect until May, when hopefully the weather will be that bit better and the evenings, of course, much longer. Um, but I don't think this is the end of the price hikes, to be honest. I think we're going to see more price hike announcements over the coming months, unless we see a drastic change on the wholesale energy markets, which I just don't foresee. And I think some of the price increases have perhaps not gone under the radar. Or, 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 but they haven't been noticed as much because they came at the end of winter. But in around you know six or seven months' time, we're going to be facing into another autumn, another winter, with prices at absolutely record levels. And I think people will absolutely feel the pinch then. All right, we'll leave it there. Derek Cassidy, thank you uh, for that information. Uh, Ruth, I want to come to you uh, first of all, because you were out over the last uh, number of weeks uh, protesting, speaking to people about cost of living. And we're listening to Dara there saying, you know, this isn't the end of these price hikes. Is there anger towards the government over these price hikes? Yes, there is. We were out in Blakestown, Huntstown, parts of the Blanchardstown area where the Taunashta is actually a TD and we've three ministers. So obviously people understand that there are issues like the war and, and so on. But, you know, price hikes were taking place in energy well before the war started. And uh, the, the key thing is that supermarkets are making record profits. You know, Tesco, Dunn's, Aldi. And yet the costs are being placed not on shareholders, but directly onto the, the customers, onto ordinary working class people. The same with the energy companies. Uh, I mean, Board Gosh, who've put up a huge uh, amount in their bills, are made 70 million in profits, but their parent company made uh, a, a huge amount, Centrica, in the UK. Uh, similarly with ESB, today we learned that they're going to hike the prices up by 25%, now, Electric Ireland particularly when you think they've made 679 in profits last year. Now, so they could easily hold off from putting up prices. They're obviously saying that they're just responding to these massive hikes on the wholesale market. Well, a really important thing is, if you bear in mind that not that long ago, the ESB was run on a break-even, not-for-profit basis. Its primary function was to provide electricity to people, you know, and to do it in an efficient way. So are people and worried now? Well, they are, but I think this is really important. The ESB are not allowed not to put their prices up. We have a farcical system whereby the market dictates that they actually must put their prices up to allow a private competitor to compete with them. So um, the government must intervene there and could intervene there um, to take these as public utilities once again. To me, you know, you've been around long enough to know that if this cost of living crisis continues and these further price hikes uh, you know, are coming down the track, it is politically toxic for your government? Look, it's, it isn't the toxicity towards politics that really matters. It's the pressure which families are under as a result of this. And whilst the government are doing the best they can, in my view at, at the moment, you cannot move away from the fact that the context in which these prices are taking place. Gas, as you know, is traded in a unit, which is referred to as a term. And prior to COVID, uh, gas was on the wholesale market at 60 pence out of the UK market where we get the bulk of our gas at 60 pence per term. Mm. It's now trading at 230. 
per term of gas. So, okay, so if that's the a fact, that, that's, that's, what does that's the government a, that's do a fact. to help people? Well, what the government have done in recent times, as you know, initially introduced that, that payment towards people's increase in electricity bills of €200. Euros. And we accept that's now been wiped out, uh, really, uh, by these increases? That was the purpose of it in the first place. It wasn't, it wasn't to give an, an additional support. It was to mitigate insofar as the government possibly can. Then there was the targeted measure towards those on low income, particularly those getting uh, the fuel allowance. So €125 Euros up front, that was done. Then there was uh, the support in terms of the reduction in excise for, for both petrol and diesel. Um, but that was prior to these energy hikes that we're seeing. But it was, it was addressing the increase that's there. These energy prices are continuing uh, and obviously government will have to continue to monitor that. I can't say to you that it's going to be able to give the same level of support as it did uh, in recent months. The ministers have, and, and Taoiseach has made it very clear, that unfortunately, notwithstanding the best efforts of government, as prices continue to, to rise, uh, the government will intervene insofar as it can. But there isn't an endless pot of money on the other side either to, to, to mitigate uh, these Did measures. the Taoiseach tell the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party this evening that there were some hard proposals coming from Europe by the end of April uh, in, uh, related to the VAT cut, the potential VAT cut? What he That's indicated what was, reported. and he and I and others with contacts in Europe are regularly trying to ensure that we get that flexibility on the VAT rate because the situation at the minute is if we are to reduce from 13 to 9%, yes. we have to go back to 23%. So is it the end of April, is that what we're looking at? We've been given, there isn't, there isn't a time frame, but there is a, a recognition of the necessity to move as quickly as possible. But I can't say to you that it's the end of April. And we're hearing this time and time and time again. Look, there is one billion uh, package on the table. The mm. Tarnished was on radio this evening saying we cannot insulate against every price hike. People are going to have to accept some pain, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, well, what we feel in the Labour Party is that there's a wider context to this. I mean, if you go back to the last budget, we were advocating for measures that would improve the issues that people have in terms of their cost of living. There's things that Irish households pay for in Ireland that, that other European households would never think of having to pay for. GP visits is a classic example. School books is another example. Childcare costs, which are astronomical in Ireland versus other uh, European countries. And when it came to the budget time, we were arguing, please don't give away half a billion worth of tax cuts. Invest in those kind of cost of living expenses that people have day to day in Ireland that we don't have in other uh, European countries. Now, the government made a different decision. When it comes to what's happening now, this is on top of issues around rent. We've called for a rent freeze. We're told it's unconstitutional, even though it happened uh, previously, as I said, Seven years ago, it wasn't the constitutional then. So our argument would be, and I welcome what, uh, what Timmy has said about the VAT issue, because that is something that's going to have to be addressed. I think now it's, it's time for a mini budget. I think it's that serious. Uh, we could see families going under in the and next we, couple of months. Pascal Dunne has said repeatedly that's not good well, enough. I, well, that's fine, uh, but that's not good enough. I mean, I think if people are to recognise the magnitude of what is happening here, the price of bread, milk, and butter has gone up 15% over the last number of weeks. Now, they are basics. So we're actually now in a battle for bread, milk and butter. So if it's that serious for households, and I appreciate people in government accept it's that serious for households, well then a, a budget at this time is going to be necessary, and that's what Jed Nash, as our finance spokesperson, has been calling for. Uh, very quickly, uh, Jared, we've heard Germany and Austria today talking about the potential for gas rationing. How serious is that for Europe? Is, is that potentially you know, the road towards a recession? 
well, we're well on the road to a recession under certain circumstances. Uh, this is one of the smallest of one of three interlinked energy crises that are emerging, and this price hike will be succeeded by others. The bigger issue behind that, on the basis of the rise of wholesale prices, is there could be a freeze in liquidity in the wholesale market. What does that mean? It means very big Irish companies, which are very small companies internationally, will not be able to afford, out of their ample resources, one would have thought, the increasingly enormous sums it will take them to buy energy in advance for us next winter. That is a real and present threat. And the third crisis, the biggest of them all, is that energy companies, including our state energy companies, must have profits to invest in the green climate policies that we will need happening? to avoid a crisis that will put Ukraine in the halfpenny place compared to fatalities and consequences. Okay, uh, all of this, of course, is overshadowed by the growing humanitarian catastrophe caused by that war in Ukraine. The UN Refugee Agency says 4 million have now fled the fighting. The UNHCR says as well as 4 million refugees who fled their home, over 6 million people have been displaced internally, 13 million have been left stranded by the conflict. Well, I'm now joined by the Irish Red Cross chief, Liam O'Dwyer, for more on the prices. And Liam, we know one of the things um, that the government here asked was for people to pledge space in their homes or vacant properties. Can you give us an update on that? How many of those vacant properties, because I know that's where you're focused, how many of those have been vetted at this point? Well, just to, to start, the 23,000 pledges have come in between the vacant pledges and the shared accommodation. And there are roughly 5,000 vacant uh, premises. And what we have been doing is ringing each of the, the premise, the owners, uh, to get a sense of the, the state of the, the premises and then getting their agreement for a review. Um, and we have a number of organizations helping us with the reviews on the ground. We have the IPAV, the, the Valuers Association, and Engineers Ireland. And indeed, we have a, we have a backup then so that we can move quicker with uh, Scouting Ireland have agreed to, to also to, to help in certain circumstances. Um, we have five, uh, we have at this stage, uh, we have 570 of these reviews under underway. Um, and we were able then with the department to agree a new procedure because of the urgency. And that was to ask uh, the, some of the, the pledgers of vacant houses um, if the, the house was in good order, could we move a refugee in um, immediately this week and then follow up with the review afterwards? That was um, an idea that came from the, the department and we have followed up on that and that has immediately released um, uh, roughly 300 houses. Um, and I know the department are busy now trying to place refugees in those houses. So that, in fact, is actually a good result. So just to be clear, out of this 570 that you have vetted, 300, is that right, have become available? No, just to say that 570 uh, reviews or vetting uh, calls are underway. So we have, we've, we've asked the vetters to go. We've got the permission of the, uh, the owner and the, uh, the, the vetting people are checking those properties. Uh, and, but what we have done in the meantime uh, it, to release properties more speedily is we've uh, been able to release 300 properties where people have agreed to, prior to the vetting, to uh, allow a, a refugee family move in. And that is ongoing at the moment. We don't know if any of those refugee yeah. families have moved in yet, do we? 
Oh, yeah, indeed, some have. We've placed some ourselves. So uh, we, we know they're underway, but the larger numbers uh, will follow in the next few days. Can you give us an idea of the type of properties, vacant properties, um, that are being made available? What are they and where are they? Well, they're, they're throughout the country. I mean, obviously, the largest proportion would be in Dublin, but you've got Dublin, Limerick, Galway, uh, Cork. They, they are the areas with the largest number of uh, vacant properties that are available at the moment. Uh, obviously, some are holiday homes. Uh, others then are just additional properties that people have. I know quite a number of the religious organisations, parishes, parish communities have made available their properties. I know that there's a number of, I know it's certainly in Featherton Tipperary, a large convent has been made available and has been uh, completely renovated uh, so to receive up to 50 refugees. So, so that sort of work is going on right throughout the country. As well as that, there's the informal sector, because I think quite a number of refugee, Ukrainian refugees have come uh, to family and friends, and those family and friends have arranged with uh, their own uh, friends to, uh, to take in uh, members of families. And that informal arrangement is, is ongoing as well at the moment. And we've also heard a lot today about the arrangements at Gormanstown with uh, Roger Gorman saying, look, there is an inevitability that this emergency accommodation is going to be used. Have you any issue with Ukrainian refugees being put up in tents? And if so, how long do you expect that they are going to have to remain there? Uh, look, it's not ideal, and I mean, to be fair to, I, I suppose, government are trying to deal with the, the numbers that are coming in. The emergency accommodation uh, is largely very good accommodation, uh, but that is fast running out, and I think that's why the pressure has been put on from our perspective as well to deliver uh, the vacant houses uh, so that the government doesn't have to resort to uh, a tented village like Gormanstown. But, uh, like, it's not ideal... But in the case of an emergency, and, and this is an emergency, um, it's understandable. All right. Uh, thank you for that update, uh, Liam O'Dwyer, there from the uh, Irish Red Cross. Um, Aon, Helen McEntee said last week, he repeated, I suppose, or reiterated what the government has said, there's going to be no upper cap on the number of refugees mm. we take in. Seeing as we're already talking about tented accommodation, should there be? No, I, I think it's an international historic moment for us. I think particularly because of our own history, the fact that we're all over the world, that we have a moral historic obligation as Irish people to step up. Now, Even if we don't have suitable I, accommodation? I think we're going to have to rule out the tent idea. I think that image has to get out of our heads immediately. I think we have to talk in the space of modular housing. I think we have to have an audit of state-owned land. I think ideas of tents is going to really play very poorly. Uh, I think as our image as, as a country, we shouldn't mm -hmm. go down that way. Uh, were there, are there other pressure points within, within state services? I know in the education system, I'm, I'm the education spokesperson for the Labour Party. There are issues within schools. I know that there's Ukrainian uh, people trying to get um, recognition from the teaching council that are asked to pay 400 euro to become registered. There's things I think that government can step in and make better. But when it comes to the accommodation crisis, uh, I think we, uh, ha as I say, have a historic um, obligation. I do have faith in Roger Gorman and what he has said over the last 18 months in but terms of... he has of, said there's an inevitability. I just well, want to put that to, to Yeah, but, but in terms of what he has done heretofore about direct provision and, and going down the line of improved accommodation for refugees and asylum seekers heretofore, I don't think we really need to walk into, walk into a space of tents. That would be bad. Uh, Timmy Dooley, walk into tents, that would be bad. We need to rule that out.
that's not what's happening from government. I don't think you can rule it out. I, I'm, I'm very pleased that it wasn't a first response from government. The first response was to put people up in hotels, in guest accommodation. Uh, the Red Cross are working proactively to try to fill places that have been offered. But the reality is if people show up at Shannon Airport tonight or Dublin Airport, uh, and if there isn't a hotel bed, you just cannot, and, and I recognise what Anne is saying in relation to Maja, that should be our medium term plan. That should be a plan that we should have in place for people who are homeless in this state as well. But notwithstanding that, the, the immediacy of this, this situation is, as people appear at our ports, at our airports, you've got to provide some level of cover. I had the opportunity to visit Lviv where I saw people queue for days on the other side of the border, where they had absolutely no cover at all, where they were out in minus five uh, okay. at night, women and children queuing. So whilst I'm saying it's not an ideal situation, it should be absolutely a last resort. When people get there, you just cannot leave them uh, on Ruth, the side of the road. Absolutely and I, last and this is the, one, the other point that I really want to make, I which is we, in, should, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't put a cap on it, because the reality is whatever we produce as a last resort here will be infinitely better than where they will have come from. There's two really important things to say here. Number one, I've, I've completely support every help being given to refugees and I've always supported opening it up. But it has to be said, why wasn't this done? And this has been asked by people who've suffered the housing and homeless crisis in this country, plus refugees who are living on 19 euros a week in direct provision. Why wasn't, why wasn't this done before? Them? A political decision was clearly made in this country that might and Maine would not be moved to sort out our housing crisis for the last okay, few years. Okay, tell me, I want to give you an opportunity to answer that before that we go to That was a decision taken at European level uh, that those uh, people coming from the Ukraine were given certain rights and responsibilities, uh, certain rights that were never envisaged or were never provided in the, the past. I'm talking about the Irish housing emergency that people in Dublin West and all over have been suffering for at least eight years, to my memory. I sat on housing committees Constitution bar barred us from the, doing this, that and the other. I spoke to a man who was, who was in homelessness on Saturday at, outside a supermarket, said completely support, but why wasn't this done for us? There wasn't and the same sense success of Successive Irish governments, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Greens, Labour, all of them still right. indicted yeah. that they didn't take these emergency measures to solve the housing crisis. These emergency measures are there and in the area that I know best in County Clare, the homeless section of Clare County Council, when families find themselves either evicted or ending of a tenancy, uh, are afforded a space in a hotel accommodation. And some of them remain there for a considerable period of time. What's happening here is the public are responding in a way differently to what they might have to our domestic uh, situation. And they're offering second homes that they have. They are offering uh, elements that's attached to their homes, granny flats, etc. That's the response of the Irish people. But People have more sympathy and more empathy with what's happening in Ukraine uh, than what's happening mm. with those who can't find accommodation I'm just, in Ireland. I, I'm just pointing out that what's happening, I, I don't want to put any kind of a, a, a moral imperative on it, but, but it is clear that the response to the <coughs> crisis is being treated by people that have access to property, to provide it uh, on a short to medium term basis. Okay. That's we, right. We see that I'm talking about church buildings suddenly being found and made available. I'm talking about state land suddenly being looked at. This should be done, Jared. but it should have been done years yeah. ago. Well, it is obvious there is a greater emphasis now than there has been on other issues in, in, in the recent past. But the real problem will come in the autumn, because whether it's tents or hotel rooms, make do will have to do 
in the immediate term. But these people are not going back soon. Many of them will be here for a very long time. And, and come very quickly, Gerard, sorry, just come the autumn, mm. we're going to have a budget and a budget yes. that there's not going to be as many goodies as we hoped. The, the Taoiseach saying today, the money being spent here is going to have to come no, from the budget. Goodies is, is, is off the table. Uh, we're borrowed to the hilt as a country. Uh, inflation is rising. Uh, pe the cost of living crisis will be hitting people. The government right. numbers on housing will not be delivered on, even in the short term. And all of these things will come together. And we're going to have to face up to the fact that if we want to meet even basic targets in terms of services, taxes are going to have to at least stay the same, if not rise, uh, because we cannot keep on borrowing, because borrowing okay. has to be paid back with interest, and that always falls heaviest on those who most need public services in all the right. end. Alright, well look, that's all we have time on that particular topic, um, but we are going to be looking at the state of politics after the break, and we also have a sit-down with Labour leader Ivana Bacic, uh, who will be discussing the survival of the party. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Labour Party leader Ivana Batchik has vowed to rejuvenate her party as she takes over from her predecessor, Alan Kelly. Earlier today, she sat down with Claire Brock to discuss her leadership in these troubled times and began by asking her who it is her party is fighting for. I'm fighting for the woman I met last week who's been evicted from her home, uh, who, ha who is a working, who's got a, uh, who had a decent job, but not a job that was generating the level of income that she will need in order to be able to afford now what has become a standard rate in Dublin, or to be able to afford to buy her own home, and who is now facing a prospect of being what we often refer to you know, as a career renter, somebody who's going to be renting forever. And our system is simply not set up to, uh, to support somebody in that position and yet she is just one of many in similar circumstances I have met in recent weeks and months in my own constituency and that story is replicated across the country and I'm working for the people who contact me all the time, the parents who cannot get a childcare place for their child, who are faced with again having to juggle bills and, tr and to see whether it's worth both of them working if they can't get affordable childcare. Uh, do you think you may need to take a stronger left stand in this field 
say no to property tax, for example, would that be something that the party would consider? Well, to me, it's not a left-wing stance to be against property tax. And Labour has been very clear. We stand for a fair and equitable taxation system. But if where property ownership is a, mark, is, is a key marker of wealth, it's a left-wing position to be in support of a fair property tax, a tax on property. Fair? Well, I think it, I think it, it's, it's, it's a fairer way of, ta- of conducting a taxation system than merely taxing income. A taxing income tends to hit the lowest paid, the hardest. Taxing wealth, wealth or property. Let's talk uh, about fixed tax- assets. Is let's talk about system. taxing income. Would Labour be in favour of imposing a wealth tax? Is that something you're in favour of? We've called for targeted wealth taxes. We certainly aren't supportive of the. I think last week we saw the tarnished of floating the idea of a, a new interim tax band between the 20 and 40 percent rates of 30 percent and we don't think that would be an appropriate approach. We think what would be a better approach would be to target public spending. If you're going to spend, don't spend it on that sort of tax break, rather spend it on uh, services for those who need them most. So say taxing people who are over earning over 100,000 euro as Sinn Féin would, would you be in favour of a tax like that? We'll certainly be in favour and, and uh, we've, we've certainly called for a more targeted wealth tax, yes. But we also, unlike uh, Sinn Féin, are supportive of the tax on property. So you, so you would stand with Sinn Féin on those sorts of things. It's just trying to see where the party now stands and where you align yourself, as I say, in this very busy field. Well, it's always been a busy field with respect. I mean, you know, well, it I, has, I, yeah. but the problem, I suppose, for Labour now is many people who would have voted Labour are no longer voting for you. Well, what I've seen in recent weeks is people coming back to Labour and certainly we're seeing a surge in membership, particularly among women, which is very welcome because I do think people appreciate, especially coming through COVID and especially with the war in Ukraine, they appreciate the need for a strong centre-left voice, a constructive vision of politics that's based on principles of equality and that's what Labour can offer. On your own leadership and your desire to make your mark, how will you be different in style um, from your predecessor, Alan Kelly? Well, every leader will bring a different style, clearly. My own background as somebody who's been engaged in political activism for many years is to work collaboratively and constructively. I believe in positive politics. I don't like the sort of uh, very adversarial style of debate that we often see in the Dáil. I think we need to bring a more collaborative um, style and more collaborative uh, method of debate. But in the Dublin Bay South by-election last summer, what we really showed was that with a clear and positive message, we showed there was a space and an appetite type for an alternative voice that was not the right wing of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael on the one hand, or the rhetoric of Sinn Féin on the other. That appetite was there, the message was, was clearly heard, and we were really, really heartened by the level of support. But isn't it true that it's a very different voter base there in Dublin Bay South? You know, you're, that's a constituency that's liberal, liberal, it's upper middle class, and a criticism around you as party leader is that whether or not you like it, that's how you're perceived. How are you going to get the voter of the young worker, um, you know, the rural vote? How are you going to get that? Well, I think it's a somewhat false narrative, if I may say, to convey this idea that there's a big urban-rural divide or a liberal, uh, non-liberal divide. I think what we've seen in recent years is a real change, a real shift in the in 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 Ireland, in our society. We saw in the repeal referendum in 2018, no longer was the case that there was an urban-rural divide or a liberal-non-liberal divide. Dublin Bay South itself is a very mixed constituency. Wherever I go, whether it's in, the, in rural areas, in towns, in cities, I'm hearing the same issues around housing, around childcare, around waiting lists for Isn't children with disabilities. Isn't every party hearing that though? 
and but responding not, but not in their own way. Not every party is responding in the same way. What we're not seeing and what we didn't see in the wasted years of prosperity between 2016 and 2020, what we did not see was the level of state investment in housing that would have, that would have delivered a base that would have got us through recently. But that's what Sinn Féin wants now. But you, you won't entertain the idea of, of talking to them. So last time out in 2020, um, post-election, and there were talks about who'd go into government, Labour said, no, we're not talking to Sinn Féin. Well, in 2020, Labour didn't have num the numbers. What we need to see and what so I want you to... So would you talk to them now? Because it sounds like you are not, sharing common platforms there. I'm, as I always have done, I'll work with any colleagues from any parties and indeed from independent groupings too, who, on, who, on where we have common policy platforms or common vision of policy. But for, for now, my focus is on building and growing Labour as a standalone party, building our message and building support for our values. And that's my focus, not on relations with other parties, albeit that we'll continue to work collaboratively from opposition with those of other parties and those of no party, and indeed those who are also in government. Would you consider going into government. government with Sinn Féin? I wouldn't, no, not at this point, no. My focus now is on building and growing Labour as a standalone party. I want to ensure that the Labour message is a strong message. We are hearing of more price rises today. We know the cost of living is really hitting, hitting home hard. Um, Electric Ireland announcing a big hike. Should the carbon tax increase be frozen in these exceptional circumstances? No, we haven't called for that, but what we have called for is other targeted measures, and in particular a temporary reduction in VAT. And I know the government have made responses about that and have been pushing for that at EU level. And indeed yesterday we were yeah, seeking, so the we were seeking for that. greater it, clarity But in on order that. to kind of stand, take a different stance yeah. that's not a government stance on this, Ivana, well, where, where would you stand? Well, the key issue that I've called for, as I did last week, is to ensure that Ireland gets a pay rise. That The, key, the, the best and most effective way to deal with the, the real squeeze so many people are feeling with the, with rising inflation and the rising cost of living. The best way to deal with that is to ensure people get a rise in pay. The government can and should be introducing targeted measures like increases in fuel allowance, but there is also the clear need to ensure that unions and workers collectively can negotiate better pay and conditions with their employers. And for me, it's about, and for Labour, it's about strengthening trade union rights and it's about pushing the need for pay rise. And I know the unions are also doing so. I know the ESRI has gave, given warnings and yet has indicated there is room there for a balanced approach because pay rises are clearly needed. I gave you the example and it's one of many of people in my own constituency who are approaching me telling me that the income which was enough even a few months ago is no longer enough. Ivana Batchik and Claire Brock there. Well, my panel of Aon O'Reardon, Timmy Dooley, Ruth Coppinger and Jared Howland are still with us. Uh, Aon, is she the person to save your party? Well, I'm, I'm delighted that Ivana is, is now the leader uh, of, of my party. Um, the last election that we actually had in this, in this country was a by-election that she won and she managed to cut through the narrative that um, that she has just spoken of there. I mean, what? Well, she, she went extra six for the well, Labour Party because that is the acid test. Isn't well, it? Uh, yes, but uh, but also I think what's most important for the Labour Party that she will affect change. And I think sometimes when people observe, obs observe, hold on, you see, this is the point, and, and this is I think what frustrates me, and I think possibly people who observe politics that it all comes down to the game, and not about affecting change, positive change in people's lives. Now, if you look at Ivana's uh, record for 30 years, she has been a campaigner for change and she has delivered change and that's what she wants to do. What, the whole point of politics actually is to make people's lives better. Obviously, from the Labour Party point of view, we would believe that 
you know, more Labour seats will be able to affect that change better. She's not somebody who's interested in adversarial politics. And she is somebody who's actually now creating a definite choice in political discourse. We're not going down the auction po po uh, politics route of tax cuts and we're against discharge and we're against property tax and we're against carbon tax, because we aren't because we do believe that, the, that uh, things have to be paid for, but we also believe in strong public services, as I outlined earlier in the cost of living discussion. Yeah, uh, Jared, I'm just interested there because they talk about this responsible opposition, mm. and that's what Alan Kelly used to talk about when he would come in here. You know, we're not going to play auction politics. You know, we're not going to be the party of protest. We're going to be responsible. And you could say Ivana is saying the same thing, but it didn't do them any favours. No, when I listened carefully to Ivana talk about targeted measures, um, that's a very long uh, paragraph, you know, of... Explaining to people that doesn't actually cut through in, in terms of the public debate, in terms of wage increases for, and led by trade unions, that effectively overwhelmingly benefits public service workers. The last time we chased inflation with pay increases was the 1970s. It ended in disaster. Sorry, I'll, it's a way I have of fueling, not choking inflation. I have to come in. But there. in relation no, to I labour, I have to challenge. That. Well, you don't have to no, really interrupt do. somebody who's making a point. Yeah, well, just let Jared make that point. Having made your own. Uh, and, and the point is that if Labour is to regain, and I think it can, and I know Ivana Batchik is a credible and decent person, there's something has to happen first. And the people who are deeply disaffected with Labour, and by the way with Fianna Fáil and others, are going to take their chance to vote for another party. It's probably going to be Sinn Féin once. And it is only when their broken promises collapse and their coalition fractures, I think that Labour can again realistically offer itself in the terms that Ivana Batchik said. I have to challenge this pay issue because 23% of Irish workers pre-pandemic were in low pay. Vast bulk of those were in the private, uh, uh, private sector. What we're advocating for is a pay rise across uh, society, which would disproportionately benefit those in low pay. Okay. We are in a low pay, poverty pay economy. Uh, Ruth, that, um, that left space is pretty crowded now when you look at Labour, Sock Dems, Sinn Féin, Solidarity People Before, Profit. Is everybody now chasing this left vote? <laughs> Fianna Fáil, he said. Um, That's I, true. I think the Labour Party, just to say, first of all, has a major problem and it, it doesn't stem from just changing the leader to a new personality. Ivana Bacic was part and parcel of the Labour Parliamentary Party during their role in governments that made them unpopular. Ivana supported water charges, one of the most you know, hated measures okay. in, in Ireland in the last decade. She supported the privatisation of housing and the HAP policy that Labour spearheaded. You know, attacks on one-parent families. So, okay, and, and I know she would say, if she was here, I'm sure Ian, you would agree. Look, there was a particularly difficult time. Very difficult choices had to be made. Whoever was in government would have had to make. Them. Yeah, but we're in a different political landscape now to Labour in the past. Labour used to be able to come out of a coalition, lick their wounds, and then kind of slither back into another one a few years later. But as you said, they now have Sinn Fein as a major competition, and they also have a socialist left challenging them as well. Um, the Sock Dems has also stolen a lot of Labour's clothes too. So I don't really see much future for the Labour Party. I don't think Ivana Bacic can reach out to working class women. She may be attractive to more middle class women, but the type of feminism that she advocates isn't particularly attractive to young women who don't have a future in this system in terms of housing, okay. in terms of their incomes. Um, and I think probably Ivana Bacic would, would disagree with that. I just want to go to you, Timmy, because you're nodding away there when we're talking about this left-wing um, uh, vote in Ireland. You're nodding your head as if to say, yeah, Fianna Fáil's left-wing too. Is that, is that your identity yeah, now? Well, I, I think we have been 
for quite some time a left of centre party in terms of the, you know, the, the pendulum uh, in Ireland. If, if you just take the approach that Micheál Martin took when Are you he became leader of the you're, you're chasing the Sinn, the Sinn Féin vote? Not chasing the Sinn Féin vote. We're responding to the needs of society. And if you're suggesting to me that by investing in, in education, investing in services, uh, not rushing to reduce taxes uh, when we came to government, if you're suggesting to me that's something other than left-wing politics, well, then I need to go back to school to understand better Maybe uh, my understanding of that. You can use... Authority you, has. And with, with the greatest of respect, we're doing that. We've had a, we have a housing programme in place that will put social housing back in a position that it hasn't been for probably close to two decades. So when you, st you, know, when you take that approach and sort of cast aside... The, the, the sort of tags, left, hard left, hard right, whatever, leave that aside and just look at the policies that are being implemented, then you would have to say that it's left of centre. OK, given the policies that you have implemented, uh, you would also have to look at that uh, recent poll in the Business Post that had been a foil, improved from 11% yeah. last year, but still only at 16%. Mm, mm, no, so the policies don't I, seem to be well, home. With respect, I think you have to give time to see what happens. Uh, we're in government two years. We've come through the COVID pandemic. So, you know, that's a crisis which we've had to handle. Um, and notwithstanding that, the increase in the level of social houses that will be built this year and completed both last year and this year will be significantly more than has been done for a, a very long period of time. So, you know... Actions take time to implement. The decisions take time to implement, for sure. Uh, do right. you get an immediate bounce every week? No. I'm prepared to wait the full uh, length, if you want, uh, of, of, of this session. And your government. bounce is coming. They haven't well, seen it yet, no, have no, we? With, with, but with respect, people will make that choice and they'll you know, leave it to them. Okay. Let them make the choice at the end of it. And let's see if they're able to measure it how we have improved society over that period of time. Uh, and how and are you I'll... going to make your voice heard, the Labour Party voice heard? Well, in, in advocating for what we're trying to advocate, it is a noisy uh, political discourse. And we do have, as Ivana has quite rightly outlined, you know, forces on the right who will, who will speak to um, you know, what they want to speak to and then for, force, forces on, on, the, on the hard left, if you like. What we're trying to do is actually achieve something. Labour is a party of government. And I would have the ambition, I know Ivana has as well, that the centre-left would lead a government in the not-too-distant future. In an alliance. Well, I mean, uh, well, no, I, I believe the centre-left has a different um, uh, package to offer than what uh, Sinn Féin are offering, because fundamentally uh, we are a party that's based on practical uh, politics that actually can be implementable. Uh, and I think if Sinn Féin ever do get into government, okay. they're going to discover just how difficult it is uh, to deliver on your, on your programme. Um, but having said that, it's about improving people's lives, and that's what we're here to do. We're going to have to leave it there, but my thanks to Adon and Jared, Timmy and Ruth will be staying with us. And after the break, a 20 cent charge on your disposable coffee cup under the government's so-called latte levy. coffee and tea drinkers amongst us soon face having to pay extra to get their favourite beverage in a disposable cup. A new levy will be brought in over the coming months in a bid to discourage their use. It'll be set at 20 cents per cup to start. Nearly 200 million coffee cups are sent to landfill or incinerators in Ireland every year. Well, we got your views on the streets today. Actually, it's a good thing for environment, but 
Should government uh, look for another uh, option? It's only cardboard, like, why would you pay, like, 20 cents? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think definitely it's the right thing to do. Why? Because we've, from an environmental perspective, there's enough um, waste going into the system. We don't need to be adding to it, so if it makes people change their habits, great. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, it, it, it would be expensive for some people. And to buy a reusable cup is quite expensive, but you can reuse them, obviously. Um, yeah, with 20 cents seems like quite a lot. Well, Timmy Dooley and Ruth Coppinger are still with us. And we're also joined by environmentalist and author Ina Nilaunag. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. I want to start with you. How big a problem was this? Is this? Is this? Well, I mean, your, your Vox Pop there was talking about the, the waste and throwing it away, but it's actually a one-off use of resources that the world doesn't have. I mean, this, this material that goes into making the cup, because it's paper lined, I mean, somebody said it's only cardboard. If it was only cardboard, it would get wet and it would leak all over you. It's lined. It's lined with a plastic thing to stop it leaking. So the world's resources are being used up to make coffee cups for one-off use. So this is a one-off use, as a, which is a waste of resources and then secondly then a lot of them then end up in landfill when you can perfectly well have a keep cup everybody had keep cups until they thought covid was going to come is going to be spread by these which it isn't because as we know now it's an aerial borne disease not carried on coffee cups and people complained about plastic bags they complained about other things and they were quickly learned they learned to bring their coffee cups with them so you welcome it pardon you welcome it Yes, of course I do. I mean, anything that stops the waste of resources and the amount of litter thrown away. And the better bit of the bill is actually the bit where the closed-circuit cameras are going to be allowed to use to catch the people who throw away their rubbish into the ditches. So, good all round. And the quicker it comes in, the better. Uh, Ruth, uh, will you be buying your Keep Cup? <laughs> I, I will, and I, I have one. But I do think that, you know, I don't have a real issue with this because people have somewhat of a choice, but... It's quite frivolous and it's quite marginal in the context of everything that needs to be done. Why do you um, say that? Well, we need things like radical measures, like free public transport, for example, you know, to stop people be having to use their cars to get to work, to get around. We need fossil fuels being tackled. You know, we need the big measures. We've got 10 years, we've been told, to tackle climate change. So... Uh, Single-use plastics is a much bigger and more effective thing, for example, than taxing, car, you know, the, the coffee cups. What about the um, idea that every little helps? Well, every little helps, but we're up against a time frame here. And I think it, it, it's very Green Party, liberal type of policy. You know, they were meant to be going into government to bring in really effective radical measures. And we need to start seeing these really effective radical measures. You know, a, a huge switch over away from fossil fuels to renewable fuels, which may well involve taking over uh, energy companies by the government, because I, I don't see the private sector doing that voluntarily. Uh, Timmy, just to go back to the issue of this uh, keep cup levy. Is that what it is? Sort of a bit tokenistic, I think, is what you're well, saying, Ruth. I, I don't think so. I think it's about changing behaviour. Uh, and I think if you put a value on something, um, then I, 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 you put a cost on something that people see that they're disposing of, they'll think again. It worked really well with the plastic bags. Um, I, you know, the biggest issue to me is not the fact that it's going into landfill, and I take the point that Anne is saying it is depleting resources. That's one issue. Second issue is this fly tipping. I don't know. When I get a chance, try to walk or run a little bit at weekends, and this time of the year, or sort of from winter on, when all the foliage dies, I'm always taken by the amount of rubbish that's dumped within, usually within about one and a half kilometres of the local shop. 
in every village in Ireland and it's paper cups. Actually, one of the bigger issues is plastic bottles, um, cigarette cartons um, and stuff from the well, late night shipper. So I think if we can start to change that behaviour, well, then we'll, we'll have a positive impact on our environment. So you're saying, look, one of the big difficulties actually when you go out and about is not paper cups necessarily, it's plastic bottles. It's so why of, hasn't it, the government done something and, about and that? There, that's an issue. There will, that's what you're saying. There will be other movement on that. But I, I just think when you start to change help to change people's behaviour, which I think the imposition uh, of this charge will do, that it will hopefully have a, a, a longer term impact. But in as right about, and everything she says is right, but in, in terms of the installation or the capacity to install uh, CCTV cameras and it doesn't have the concerns that it, it resolves the issues um, around privacy and all of that. I think that will have a really meaningful impact because it's, it's, it's sort of a chicken and egg here. Um, it's a carrot and, so and stick approach. Just as an example, transport is the second biggest driver of you know carbon uh, emissions in Ireland. The government, at a very quick drop of a hat, obviously we need investment, etc., to create more, could introduce free public transport giving working people a break in terms of the cost of living, but doing something really, really serious about climate change. Okay. So but, we, but we, in, what, in, well, why don't you do that? I know, but yeah, free public put transport... Put back in there. Yeah, but free yeah, but it's why it's don't not either or. Ruth is saying they shouldn't be doing this because they should be doing that. This is low-hanging fruit. This is going to be done very quickly. And it'll work because people, a lot of people are in favour of it. doesn't mean they have to stop doing things on transport. No, but they're not doing any of the other they, things, I mean. No, well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's a huge amount of objections to all of yeah, the, free, the bus lanes free, and everything else. But there's nobody objecting Nobody would object to free public transport. Of course not. But somebody still has to pay for it. So the cost yes. of rejection... And I have and been an advocate. I do, yeah, it's two yeah. billion. Okay. I, have no, been it's an, I have been an advocate of it for a long time to do it on a staged way. But the reality is to do it right now, you have to find the two billion somewhere else. And then there's a loss of investment, which we need to invest okay. in public transport because free public transport won't improve okay. County Clare. The coffee cups are great, but now you want to talk about something else. Okay. We're talking does, about coffee cups. Does and change people, behavior? people throw coffee cups away, they're throwing plastic bottles away. You're not going to throw away your coffee cup and put your plastic bottle somewhere else. The people who do the throwing away of the coffee cups throw away everything else as well. So, you know, all that nest that every right. tiny town committee in the country is picking up out of the hedges. All right. Hopefully, this will do it. It stopped the plastic bags. Remember the day with every okay. hedge was lit? Got to go here, right? So, you know, the, the coffee cups will work. And, Welcome, it's the team. Good night. Thanks, Anna. <laughs>